0: Today is known as Gaudate, Sunday, which is the Latin form of the word rejoice. And it's an imperative throughout the readings. It's a command of God to rejoice. Now, given the state of our world and perhaps our lives, we wonder how is that possible? Because it says rejoice always. Well, here I think we need to distinguish between joy that's met in our readings and happiness. Happiness comes from the Latin word which means to happen or chance, good fortune. So we have our ups and downs through our lives. One day we're up because everything is going well. We're in good health, we have a good job, our relationships are great. The next day, things can be taken away. So there's that sense of happiness which is related to the passing sensual pleasures that can come and go. It's kind of from the outside. But the joy that the gospel and the readings are referring to is that deep abiding inner expression of the soul the deepest core of who we are that's where we're called to have this fruit of the spirit it runs deep it transcends the surface changes of our life and we're called to have this abiding joy always so since that's the title of the Sunday, Godate Sunday, but it's also the theme of the readings. Let's see what the readings tell us, because they each give us a clue as to how we can attain this joy. The gospel begins with the first clue. John the Baptist is speaking to the crowds, tax collectors, soldiers, and he says the same thing. Live the commandments. Live a moral, ethical life. Now, when that happens, when we Experience this joy, it's because we're living the moral life, because the conscience, which is at the core of our being, which is the Aboriginal vicar of Christ speaking to us, is aware of what we're doing. Conscience directs us, it chides us, it rewards us. So when we do something good for another out of love, a sacrificial act, for example, we give to the poor, we forgive our neighbor, and so on, we experience that joy. Because our conscience is telling us we have pleased God and ourselves. That's the first clue in the gospel. To the crowds, John the Baptist says, If you have two coats, share with someone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. Tax collectors don't collect more than you're entitled to. Soldiers don't extort by false accusation or violence. Jesus says something similar in the gospel of John, in chapter 15. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full, complete. The second clue is found in the second reading. This is St. Paul now. In his letter to the Philippians, he adds another dimension. He says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He adds that dimension of thanks, gratitude. Paul didn't really perhaps understand the science of gratitude. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak that word. And what his understanding was likely that Thanksgiving takes us out of ourselves and it directs us to God, recognizing that all good things come from God. Joy is not something we kind of conjure up in our soul, but it's rather a gift. What's interesting though is science now has caught up with this great insight. Recently, there's been studies that have shown that gratitude is positively correlated with health. More vitality, more energy, more enthusiasm. It's a natural antidepressant. Let me quote from an article I came across called The Neuroscience of Gratitude. The author says, when we express gratitude, genuine gratitude, our brain releases dopamine and serotonin, the two crucial neurotransmitters that make us feel good, enhance our mood, so that we are happy from the inside. I'll quote now from the article, and this is the key point for us to remember. By consciously practicing gratitude every day, we can help these neural pathways to strengthen themselves and ultimately create a permanent, grateful, and positive nature within ourselves. End of quote. Again, what's interesting, if we go back to the saints, for example, St. Ignatius of Loyola, He wrote the famous Spiritual Exercises, and he said, when you're doing your examination of conscience, begin always with gratitude. List the things that you're grateful for, and do it every day. Look back on the previous 24 hours and list the things that we're grateful for. That sets us in a completely different frame of mind. Then we can go and do the examination of conscience, but start with gratitude. St. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says give thanks in all circumstances that this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, we think, really, Paul, give thanks in all circumstances? Yes, because even the dark times of our lives, even those struggles that we'd rather not go through, if we have the proper attitude and know that all things work for good, if we give thanks to God in the midst of our darkness, something happens. Light comes into our darkness. Well, the third clue comes from the first reading from the prophet Zephaniah. He, again, says rejoice and exalt with all your heart, an imperative. But his added point is that the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Now he was speaking to Israelites that had sinned very drastically in their history and a lot of consequences happened as a result of it. But here we have another dimension, forgiveness of sins. Again, a clear conscience. King David was the best expression of this insight because when he sinned grievously against Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan called him out, he knew that he had sinned. And he was grieving. This is what he said in Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That was directed to God. He was forgiven. And he was a man after God's own heart. Zephaniah goes on to say to Israel, the king of Israel, your Lord, is in your midst. Do not fear, the Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives great victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. There's another insight. The Lord is in your midst. Just knowing that gave Israel hope and joy. Now, in the Old Testament, that was the closest they could come to having God with them. God was in their midst. It was either a voice to the prophets Whether it was directing the prophets or the people to do certain things. But in the New Testament, the New Covenant, what we're blessed to receive is not just God's in our midst, God is in us. Here's the linchpin of the readings and our Christian life regarding joy. I go back to the Gospel with John the Baptist. He says to the people, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming and I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now that's the climax of all these clues. These clues now are undergirded by this reality that we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can come and live within us. Now certainly in the sacrament of baptism that happens, and in confirmation as well, but sometimes the recipient of that sacrament perhaps would not be totally receptive or understand or invite the Spirit to really dwell. So God is gracious and he says each one of us can invite the Holy Spirit to come into us at any time. And that would be a great prayer on this third Sunday of Advent to say, Lord, I need to be baptized with your Holy Spirit. And God will come in. There will be a conversion, because we're always called to a deeper walk with God. And then that joy God working in our souls. It's not something manufactured by us, but produced in us by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the fruits. Remember the fruits of the Holy Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The second fruit of the Spirit. Going back to the second reading, St. Paul in that letter to the Philippians, when he said, Rejoice always, I say, Rejoice again. Do not be anxious about anything. He was writing in prison, that letter, and that was a dark place to be, not like the prisons today. He suffered. He might not have been happy, but he was joyful. That whole letter of Philippians is the most joyful letter in all of the New Testament, from prison. And Nero was the emperor, and he knew he was going to be put to death. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the answer, again, to this whole question of how can joy abide in us It's when we invite Christ through the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts. So with that, let us thank God for this wonderful set of insights. Let's invite God into our hearts again, be baptized, live that moral life, keep the commandments, prayer with thanksgiving each day, forgiveness of sins. And then, rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice.